are we doing, sports fans? Pete Forsey, the podcast, that's my name and the show's name, and we talk Major League Baseball, we talk football, we talk whatever is hot, and of course we got the NCAA tournament right now where uh, Providence and FBU and uh, and Virginia and and Arizona, a lot of falls and a lot of... uh, uh, Cinderella's making their case here early in the tournament. I didn't watch all that much. I watched Mizzou, and some people were really disappointed about the Tigers and them going out in that fashion after a great year. Do you really get that upset about it? I mean, it was a team that, in all likelihood, overachieved. Did they lay a good foundation? Yeah. So is it easy to get excited? But come on now. That was a team that was not expected to really even make it to the tournament, let alone win a game, and they did. And so when you fall to Princeton after you shoot the basketball uh, that poorly but also are good in your shot selection and you don't turn the ball over too much, I know they got out-rebounded the Missouri Tigers, but overall that was a, if you say it correctly here, it was a healthy loss in that you you just didn't have shots falling. I didn't see sloppy basketball, so... Uh, Dennis Gates, good start to the year, but on this show, we're going to talk the World Baseball Classic because that's what I was watching. We'll talk New York Jets and how they're really playing with fire here with Aaron Rodgers. The Cowboys are winning the offseason, love what they're doing. We'll talk about the Panthers' number one pick and Major League Baseball. Opening day is going to look a lot different next week. I'm going to talk about the great things that Rob Manfred is doing and really how Major League Baseball. It's only trending up. So let's get to it. It is the podcast, episode 113, here now. I have been watching a lot of baseball games growing up, and you see a lot of this in basketball. Michael Jordan, Utah Jazz, standing at the the top of the key. He's holding the ball, waiting to take the last shot because that's the moment that is best for his team, and that's what's best for the consumer. The ball in the hands of Michael Jordan. The ball in the hands of Tom Brady. Baseball doesn't lend itself well to actually being able to create those moments yourself just because pitchers get tired, uh, lineups change over, players can get walked intentionally if there's a key spot in the middle of a game. So that's why yesterday, World Baseball Classic, USA, Japan, the two countries with the two best leagues, Major League Baseball and the Nippon League in Japan, they had their two best players representing their countries, one on the mound in Shohei Otani, maybe the best baseball player overall, and then the greatest hitter of the last decade in Mike Trout, who coincidentally are on the same team in the Angels. And it was the ninth inning, two outs, one run game. Absolutely unbelievably incredible. You could not ask for something better. And the the damn shame of it all is it's going to last two minutes. It's one at bat. And I think Trout took him to to two and two, laid off a a really tough pitch, a hundred mile an hour fastball. Miss Taylor actually turned to me and said, how the hell does he do that? It's coming in at a hundred miles an hour and it's about an inch off the plate and he has two strikes and he just took it. I go, That's what makes him the greatest hitter of this generation, perhaps going to be the greatest hitter ever on the Rushmore of Hall of Famers. And the guy throwing the pitch, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame as a hitter too, probably. At least he's on track to be. 
And Shohei obviously won the at bat, not an indictment either which way, won at bat, you know, not saying anything about who's better. It was just incredible to witness because you just don't get that in baseball. It's nothing really you can create. I'm not saying there hasn't been magical moments, but when you just talk about a matchup perspective, that from player to player, you, you could not ask for better. There's been some things that are close. There have been some things that are great, and you always are reminded of it, and it's an indelible mark in your memory. But that right there, truly, it may not be topped in my lifetime from just, say, mano y mano, one-on-one. That was absolutely incredible. And it really was a great way to top off the World Baseball Classic because I think it I think it gained some steam this time. I've been a fan since 2013. Really liked it in 2017. It was a bummer because I think it was supposed to happen in 2021, but obviously COVID pushed that back. So it was a six-year hiatus that we had with this tournament. And baseball just naturally lends itself from an odd standpoint, three out of 10, as we know, is a Hall of Famer. And then you bake in the fact that Major League Baseball is represented from all these different countries, Venezuela, uh, Colombia, Dominican Republic, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Japan, obviously the United States. You have so many good players from so many different countries. The odds of it all, you factor all that in, it makes it really competitive. This was great baseball and something that I think is such a treat when you talk about doing it at every three or four years. And it's a bit of a bummer that it has to be planted during the NCAA tournament. I know there was talks about doing it mid-season after the All-Star break in July and then after the playoffs in November. Where are people's minds with that? I'm sorry, but do you really think in the dog days of July, Paul Goldschmidt is just going to gear up for a tournament with the World Baseball Classic in July or after a season? Hell no. Why do people think that would work? Is it perfect where it is right now? No, but it is in the best spot. Major League Baseball players have to gear up for camp. They have to play games in March. If they're going to choose, wouldn't they rather maybe do something that's actually worth their while, something that's actually fun, something that's competitive? That was a playoff tournament. That had playoff vibes. Guys were playoff ready, laying it all out there. That's what they want to do. So, Definitely think it's in the right spot in the calendar, even though it may not be perfect because they got to share it with the NCAA tournament. But I will give baseball this. This is a young tournament. 2006 is when this started. So it's not like the Olympics. It's not like FIFA where it's been going on for you know hundreds of years now. This is something that's relatively young. And this is going to be good for other countries that where baseball isn't represented as much. You see this tournament, you see these players. Soon here, it'll kind of be like the Carter effect. When Vince Carter played for the Toronto Raptors, about 10, 15 years later, after he was done with the Raptors, that's when you saw basketball picking up in popularity in Canada because they grew up watching Vince Carter. They saw the windmill slam dunk at the 2000 All-Star game. I think this tournament could have similar effects, and this was the one in 2023 that ultimately could launch it. Was really happy to hear Rob Manfred announce that it's going to be back in 2026. I was trying to get Ms. Taylor to go out to it this year at Phoenix. 
and watch Mexico. She's uh, her, her heritage is Mexico. She was dialed in on those games. Really bummed that they didn't finish the deal in the semis. And I was hounding her back in October, November. I was like, come on, come on. This tournament is going to be happening. It's going to be March time. It's going to be uh, warmer. It's going to be good vibes. We got to go out and see this. And ultimately, we didn't. We were bummed about it because it's such a cool tournament. We're going to be back there, or we're going to be out there in 2026 when it's back. And I cannot wait because I really think this is going to be the launching point for this entire deal. So I know McAfee had Rodgers on and he announced that he's going to, you know, play for the Jets if he has his druthers and nothing's happened since that. And I know we talked about it last time. I think it's getting a little weird here with the Jets and it's very apropos when you talk about their organization that they're just willing to sit back and wait this thing out. I know Jeremy Fowler went on Sports Center on Sunday and talked about how they feel like they have some leverage here. So they're going to take the wait and see approach. That doesn't make sense to me. Because who's going to play quarterback for the Jets if this whole Rodgers thing falls through? Lamar Jackson? I mean, are you really just going to switch over your entire approach to 2023 by going from Aaron Rodgers, pure dropback passer, to Lamar Jackson, the most newfound quarterback that you could possibly think of? Like that That is a radical shift. I don't think that would be a seamless transition going into 2023. Love Lamar Jackson. I do. I think he's great above the shoulders, has a good mindset. He's done a couple things that are weird, but his game as a runner, virtually unstoppable when he's on and he has the right lineman around him. And then if you get him a great tight end that controls the middle of the field, he's got a good enough arm to make some plays. So I definitely think the Ravens and other teams should be interested in him, but it is a process putting together the right team. It's not just plug and play like the Jets would be forced to do if Rodgers falls through. So I don't know why they're playing with fire here. Give up a first-round pick for Rodgers, and that's it. It's worth even a one-year flyer. You have been a downtrodden franchise since 2010 when Mark Sanchez was leading your team to the AFC Championship game. A pair of those, I might add. I've always thought he's kind of underrated. So... Why are you fooling around with leverage and giving up a first-round pick for Aaron Rodgers? He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, maybe it's one year. Don't you want to make the playoffs? Don't you want to have viability? Newsflash. Bills? Dolphins? Patriots? They would all have the inferior quarterback if Aaron Rodgers is on this team and Aaron Rodgers is locked in, ready to go. Which, of course, there's questions with that, but the Jets obviously have come this far thinking that he will be keyed in on wanting to have a big bounce back year. So give up a first round pick, give up a player on your secondary, obviously not a sauce gardener, uh, but you know, look at giving up a package here. I, I'm not saying, you know, you, you throw the farm at him, but what are you doing screwing around trying to play the leverage game? The Packers have the scales tilted in their favor. They have the dead cap at $59 million or whatever it is. They've already announced that they're willing to go with Jordan Love. They know that they're stuck with this cash either which way. So the leverage is definitely in their favor. Go ahead. Get Rodgers on your team. Have the press conference so he can get to work. It's almost April here. OTAs are around the corner. Don't you want him diving into the playbook with Hackett and with the new personnel he's going to be around? 
I understand that maybe the plays he won't need to brush up on, but it's a new franchise. It's a new organization. There's an owner, and there's a GM who's not going out and getting Randall Cobb like Brian Gutekunst was. Aaron kind of ran the show in these last couple of years because there's not an owner that he has to worry about coming down and, and making statements at the owners' meetings. And he's got a Gunikis, a GM, that's somewhat under his fingernail and willing to hear what he has to say on personnel. So when, when you go into a new situation like that, you got to feel your way out. I, I, we've all been at our first day at a new job, and you, you kind of feel a little intimidated because you don't have your bearings. You don't know everybody. You don't know how people talk or you know, just kind of the rapport around the building. It's the same way with football. I, I understand that it's a little bit different, but the, the Jets are playing with fire here. I think they're screwing around. Go ahead, give up a first-round pick, and, and get this thing done, and get Rodgers to Florham Park. I believe it was shortly after we published last week's episode that Ezekiel Elliott was finally released from the Dallas Cowboys, and I know Jerry Jones put out a press release, one that he does every now and then with special guys. I think he did it with Des Bryant back in 2017, which is you know, difficult to believe that that was uh, six years ago, or maybe it was 2018 when they finally uh, cut ties with him. But you know, as much as Jerry Jones overpays for the guys that he drafts and guys that he's that he likes. Dak could fall under that category. Zeke, obviously, un- under that category. Uh, Amari Cooper, under that category. As much as he does that, you know, one thing you got to give the Cowboys credit to are the savvy moves that they make on the waiver wire, on trading for guys, and through the draft. They are a damn good drafting team. Rarely do they just whiff on a first-round pick. There's a Taco Charlton in there, and there's definitely a, a Morse Claiborne in there that's going on a, a you know 10, 12 years now. But you know, at minimum, they're gonna get a Leighton Van Der Esch. They're gonna get a Byron Jones, or they're gonna get an Ezekiel Elliott who is hot out of the gate. Like they're good at hitting on the premier talent that's coming out of the college football circuit. And then you mix in some trades like with Stephon Gilmore, who still is a premier corner, just needs to be in the right defense, more of a man-to-man guy. Brandon Cooks, who I think it was the fifth or fourth trade before his 30th birthday. The guy's just always valuable. Definitely going to be an asset to Dak Prescott. You know, the Cowboys really like what they're doing. Really do. And they got the Eagles in the division. Who, who obviously are, are still going to be a tough out. I know they retained all their secondary guys, except for uh, C.J. Johnson, who was uh, talking some trash at his Lions presser. And then of course, Washington, you know, they're going to hope to be humming. They got a new O.C., but still got to figure out the quarterback position. And, and the Giants obviously feel like they're going to make some strides. So they're in a tough division, the Dallas Cowboys. But I think they're, they're, they're staying right there with them. As far as this offseason, they got a legit number one corner. I still think Gilmore's that caliber. I think they got close to a number one wide receiver. He's not putting up those gaudy numbers, but he's available. He is someone that you can put on the inside or the outside. He's played in big games, playoff games, and he's played for winning organizations. I think the Cowboys, when you factor in cutting ties with Zeke, who could very well be back, you haven't really heard too much on the market. And you also saw in the press release with Jerry that he just wanted to let Zeke explore free agency. 
he wasn't ruling out a reunion at a discount price. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Zeke, who's a good pass protector, who can still run between the tackles, if he comes back at the veteran minimum. And at that cost, you like Ezekiel Elliott on the Cowboys. So definitely think a lot of good things from the Cowboys. And as far as teams that are winning the offseason, Dallas is definitely right up there. So I don't think I ever actually talked about it, which is funny, but I'm actually looking back at when I put out the previous episodes and it was between um, when the Bears traded the number one pick to the Panthers. And I just honestly forgot about it. And I think, you know, you've heard all the takes by now. My thoughts are the Bears definitely are going in on Justin Fields with this move, which is pretty clear. And I Obviously, I've stated how I think they need to take a second look at this. I'm not saying that they totally need to move off the guy in a perfect world. I think you would ask Justin Fields to be repositioned, play like a quasi-quarterback, but also weapon, and get someone like a Lamar Jackson in the backfield with Chicago, or get someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo. He has since signed with the Raiders, but that would have been my initial plan going into this offseason. But I also like some of these quarterbacks at the top. And that's why I shift my focus to the Panthers who now have the number one pick to choose from the litter and CJ Stroud, man, who is rumored to be the guy. I know he had his pro day today. Uh, from what I looked at, I didn't love the pro day, uh, and, and what he brought to the table, especially in a staged environment. But from when I have seen him play football, football games at Ohio state, big 10 conference, second best conference in college football. I really like this guy. He's got a live arm. And he seems to be able to hit guys at all three phases of the field. And he's also not a guy that you where you have to cut the field in half. And he obviously is a big kid at like six foot four, 210 plus pounds. And when you talk about the Panthers, Frank Reich, think about him and what he has already brought to his offenses. Carson Wentz, Phillip Rivers, uh, uh, Nick Foles, even he's always liked big, thick quarterback. So this Bryce Young guy, while maybe the owner will put the hammer down on who they're going to take, you got to look at history here. And I think CJ Stroud is likely going to be the guy if it's not Anthony Richardson or if it's not a Will Levis, who you never know who they may like the most. We've seen some head scratchers in the past uh, that turned out to be good and bad. Trubisky was one of them. Even Patrick Mahomes was one of them. Blake Bortles back in 2014. Nobody thought that The Jaguars would take him. So you never know who they actually like most because they'll feed stuff to the media to try and throw off other teams. So it's going to be a lot of fun tracking this over the next several weeks. But if it's true, if they like C.J. Stroud at number one, I'm definitely in alignment with that because so far from the reviewing and in the research that I've done, again, I'm not a, a scout here, but from what I've been watching on YouTube and everything, Definitely like the measurables and just the the qualities from a athleticism standpoint that Stroud is bringing to the table. And then in addition to the fact that they've already traded DJ Moore, who's a pretty good player, and you kind of think like, do you really want to deplete your receiving core when you got a new quarterback coming in? It, it typically is one of two ways. They either load up on weapons like Joe Burrow and the Bengals to make them real comfortable or you put in a really good offensive line, i.e. Dak, with the Cowboys back in 2016. I think they had four first-round picks. So it's kind of one of those things where you look at it from the Panthers. It's like, do you really want to do that? But 
Then they sign Adam Thielen, who's coming off a cost-cutting move. The guy can still play, but the pie in Minnesota, he was just eating up too much of it. And they needed a lot of that money to spread across like three positions. So now he's on Carolina. Carolina has plenty of cap room. He gets his money. He has something to prove because he just lost his job. Anytime you're dealing with a football player who gets cut, a team says, we don't want you at this number, it can be a reality check. You're talking about a alpha, a guy who's been in Minnesota, raised there, and has been, at one point, the best receiver on his team. I know he had Stephon Diggs at one point, but he was getting the uh, lion's share of the catches at one point, too. This is a guy who's also been undrafted. He was a tryout player. He's always going to have an edge. He's revitalized. This could be really good for whoever comes in. If it's Stroud, if it's Young, it'll be a legit option that is really good at his craft. Definitely wanted to end with Major League Baseball and in anticipation of opening day, which is, I believe, it's going to be next week. We're here on Thursday, so I think it's going to be March 30th. So that would actually be the 29th. I'm recording this here on the 22nd. We got Major League Baseball opening day not too far away. And it got me thinking that even just two years ago, how drastically different the game looked in 2021. At that point, I think they did away with the California rule in extra innings. I think that was only an experiment that they did in 2020, brought it back in 2022. And that was something that they, they, they came back with extra innings just being under the normal rules. You had spider tack back in the game. You did not have pitch timers. You did not have pickoff attempt limits. You did not have um, uh, you did not have the designated hitter in 2021. Baseball is in a completely different space. It's good that we're down 30 minutes uh, in game time because there is a lot of dead time. Um, but it's it's a very different game, and we're going to see here in the regular season, come opening day maybe, when baseball interest is at its peak along with the World Series. We're going to see here in the 6th and 7th and 8th innings and ninth innings of a big time at bat, whether it's a Trout or Otani or whether it's your setup man and the 5th batter in your lineup, it's going to be longer than 20 seconds, and we're going to see some botched attempts of trying to get a pitch off where it's the a, the wrong pitch, it's a bad pitch, or a reliever is gassed, and he's just not ready mentally or physically to make a pitch in that quick a time. So you add in that fact and just how different baseball is going to look come opening day one week from now, it, it is a long, far cry from where we were just you know four years ago in 2019, even, you know, two years ago in 2021, just all the different uh, timers that we have and mound visit limits and, and no DH pitchers don't get to hit anymore. It's a different game. And I'm not saying it's worse, but it is just a change of scenery. And we'll see how this affects Manfred's legacy because his big thing is trying to speed up the game and add teams to the league. That's what his commissionership if that's a word, I don't know. That's what he wants his legacy to be. I added teams to the league. I cut down on the dead time, and I grew the interest in the game with the younger crowd. 
And he's done some really great things on the business side. I know I'm looking to get a new phone. I need a new iPhone. And I might be going on my own carrier here soon because I'm still on uh, my mother's bill. And I'm still on her payroll when it comes to phone. So I'm looking at T-Mobile because they give you MLB.TV for free. That's Manfred. He's got a deal there where he's trying to grow the game through people on their mobile devices. The MLB ballpark app is the most used app by any of the four professional sports leagues in America. So when people say baseball is dying, when I see $10 billion in revenue last year, I just shake my head at that. It is laughable that people think baseball is in disarray just because people don't like sitting down for three hours and watching a baseball game. Now, ideally, would you like your sport to actually be consumed like football? Would you like that consumers actually like to watch the game? Of course. And that's why you make these changes with the pitch clock. It's going to be cut down to two and a half hours. But when you look at the ancillary parts of all this, the MLB app, fantasy baseball, going to the ballpark and watching the game live, or even if you're not watching it, just buying $12 beers and paying $100 for a ticket at a 40,000-seat bar, guess what? People like to do that in the summer. I don't think that's really going to go out of style. I don't think that's going to come with an expiration date. People in their 20s like to do it. People in their 40s. People in their 60s. Hell, I even know people in their 80s that still go to baseball games. So, Major League Baseball in a great spot. It's also a different game, and it's going to be a lot of fun watching this new game next week on opening day. From the bottom of my heart, thanks so much for choosing the podcast. Quickly, I need you to subscribe or follow, review. Give me five stars if you want. If you don't, that's okay. Tell me why. Also, share it with your friends. You can email me at thepodcast at gmail.com if you got questions or comments that you want read aloud on the show, or you can at me. I'm on Twitter. It's my name, Pete4C. Thanks so much for choosing the podcast. We will see you guys next time.